and stop telling girls they can be anything they want when they grow up. I think, <laughs> I think it's a mistake. Not because they can't, but because it would have never occurred to them they couldn't. <laughs> You're planting that seed in their heads. It's like saying, hey, when you get in the shower, I'm not going to read your diary. <laughs> Hold on, are you going to read my diary? What, are you crazy? I just said I'm not going to read your diary. Get in the shower. <laughs> Girls grow up so fast. It's, it's like they don't have childhoods anymore. They're sexualized so early. You know, I, a girlfriend of mine has a little baby girl and I babysat her. I changed her diaper, totally shaved. <laughs> Six months old. back we are back hello hello and welcome welcome back to comedian ordinaire the world's most okay podcast the world going through its most okay time right now too um geez yeah my name is dan O. thanks for listening i love doing these little biographies or essay like ear essays can you call them that on specific comedians Hopefully the shakeup is something worth listening to. It's just not my favorite thing right now to get guests and talk over Zoom and put a Zoom audio into the thing because then I have this video file that I don't know what to do with, but also the audio isn't what I'm used to. Anyways, I'm excited about it, so you have to be too because this isn't your podcast. Um before I get into everything, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by telling a friend. And making a friend right now is a little bit difficult, especially because everybody should be wearing masks. But if you see somebody not wearing a mask, well, then, you know, don't be friends with that person. Um, so only make friends with other people that are wearing masks. You're going to have to do a lot of like eye movement, use the eyebrows, blink a lot, speak up because it's tough through the mask so speak a little bit louder so that they can hear you when you're telling them to listen to this podcast that is done by a local cat tell them denver tell them denver because that's cooler right i know a guy who does a podcast in littleton oh fuck that guy well i know a guy who does one in denver really what's it called so go and do that tell a friend i think that's the best way for this to spread is through word of mouth the podcast popularity, I mean, not the other thing. We don't want it to spread anymore, so please just wear a mask. But when it comes to this podcast, don't, because that's how, how stuff spreads. I think the point is clear. Um, also, all questions, comments, queries, and concerns are welcome at ComedianOrdinaire at gmail.com. Man, I, uh, you know, in... 
watching all the stand-up and researching and looking at these comedians in depth, I'm realizing how much I actually miss performing and all that. I haven't performed since March, which is pretty wild. I don't think uh, I don't think I ever included that set in one of these podcasts. It's not the best set ever. It's okay. There's a couple of laughs in there, but I just went back and listened to it the other day looking for jokes that I could work on or try to finish or maybe something that I forgot about. It just brought back a a rush of memories. I remember sitting in a bar, crowded, kind of. I mean, people weren't six feet apart, and to me that's crowded. Like, crowded now is five or less feet. But I remember being in this bar, amateur open mic, watching all the other comedians, like seeing people like Georgia Comstock and Nick Dean sitting over in the corner. I'm like, fuck, they're so cool. And they're so good at stand up. But having taken all this time off, I'm like, I don't I feel like we're all we're all a little bit rusty. Maybe, I don't know, I think a couple of people are, are coming back and doing some shows outdoors and whatnot, but it's so tough and I I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to go back out and stand in front of all these people and not feel something like god you guys should be separated even more maybe we're doing this too soon so i i don't know really where i'm going with that it's just something that i i miss doing and i'm realizing it now through watching either good or bad stand-up and looking at other comedians doing their thing watching all these sets that were taped pre-everything with rooms full of people ready to laugh I know comedy is sort of coming back in Texas specifically. Clubs like the Improv requiring the audience to wear masks. Although I think once you're watching the comedian, maybe a lot of people take it down and just say, fuck it. Like, we're here. We're all going to die anyways. That's, uh, I don't know. It's just a wild thing. And I, I think Colorado's doing okay. I mean, we must be if... People are starting to come back, or maybe we're coming back too early. I don't know. Maybe this is what people in Arizona thought. Yeah, we're doing really well. We saw a flattening of the curve, and now the curve is flat, but it's only because it's at the very top, you know? So I don't know if that's what's happening with us. It's been the weirdest year ever. And I feel like no matter what you do, like if you try and avoid the news, if you pick up your phone at all, the news somehow just finds you. I think people today have this habit of just regurgitating everything that they read to you, but through their own lens of like panic or bias or worry. And so you're not really looking at the news, but everybody's like, hey, look at this thing I saw on the news. So we're getting like third-hand information because I don't even believe the news stations are totally trustworthy in giving you exactly what's true and what you need to hear. I think a lot of it is fear-inducing. And then they induce fear into people who overreact even more. And so you just look at your phone and whatever you're opening. Like, damn, I, I know I talked a lot about TikTok and maybe that's getting banned now too. But I used to log into TikTok to 
get away from the types of feed that I was used to. And, you know, I've even had to just get rid of Facebook for a couple of weeks. So I'm not I'm not doing that. And I would get on TikTok to just like watch silly things or completely random things that were unrelated. But I mean, it's even coming through on TikTok at this point. Um, so no matter what you do, no matter if you're trying to avoid it or not, if you're picking up your phone, it sort of has this way of finding you. And I guess if you're going through that too, I just want you to know, yeah, I definitely am. Cause it's not the healthiest thing. I don't think to look at our phones this much. And well, like I heard somebody say, um, I think it was Joe list in one of his podcasts say, it's so unhealthy to look at world news because all news really is like, hey, this is a bad thing that's happening near you, so be careful, and it's supposed to be informative and helpful and geared towards safety. But if you're looking at world news, you're looking at bad things that are happening everywhere. And so when you step outside, you think that bad things are all around you, so it gives you this sort of distorted perception of your own little reality in Littleton or Denver, if you're sharing this with somebody. And it just makes you think that that community around you has all these bad things happening to it. So with everything bad, I feel like there are two good things that are being overlooked. It's uh, it's it's all about, I guess, what you decide to expose yourself to. And just be careful, be thoughtful about it, be a little bit more selective and and think for yourself a little bit, and it's really easy to say, not the easiest thing to do. And I know I didn't want to start this one off by doing some sort of lecture, but man, just in listening to these old stand-up clips, I'm like, fuck, I really miss doing that. I miss like feeling this pressure after work, coming home, and like, oh, fuck, I got to write a joke, I got to, I got to work on that thing, and I got to find the funny in it, because I wrote it down, and it doesn't totally feel there anymore. And I know it's going to come back and it'll be a little bit different. It's just one of those things that makes you realize that you were taking it for granted. And I don't know. I'll be back when I'm back. I don't know when that is. I'm not crazy about all these Zoom open mics or like Instagram live open mics. And no disrespect to anybody participating in those. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I'm growing from that really at all because it's not I don't believe that's where the future of comedy is. I don't think it's in Zoom and in live videos. I really think comedy is meant to be performed live in front of people in person. Um so it's just not something that I'm trying to get better at doing Zoom shows, so I've just been avoiding it and maybe that's been bad for me. I don't know. It's tough to say in the moment. You know, perhaps in retrospect, I could look back and think, ah, fuck, I should have been doing Zoom shows. Now all these comedian people are Zoom fame, and they got Zoom gigs. Kudos to all those people getting Zoom gigs. Um, and it's even tough to think about, like, what kind of material to joke about. I don't know if people want to joke about the pandemic that's happening. I thought for a while, oh, everybody's going to be talking about that. So don't do that. Think of something different. Be different. Be unique. Think outside the box. It's not really the case at all, I don't think. 
Because I know when I'm looking for new comedy, I'm like, ah, can you just make some sort of good point or twist an angle that I didn't see about this situation? Because this is awful. So I know I want to laugh at it. And if I do, other people probably want to laugh at it too. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? I don't know. I just miss doing stand-up. And uh, I'm realizing that the more I watch stand-up and focus on specific comedians like this. But today, very excited to be uh, sharing this piece about Sarah Silverman. In my opinion, probably the best female comedian and my favorite female comedian. Um, I guess for those that don't know, Sarah Silverman, a writer, actress, singer, producer, and stand-up comedian. Uh, Since Sarah has her hands all over the media industry, be it in forms of television, movies, songs, behind-the-scenes writing or whatever, it's tough to just label her as a comedian, but for the sake of this piece, I would only like to focus on that part of her work, really. Um, I'll mention a little, like, TV appearances and maybe like a movie appearance or whatnot, but for the most part, I want to talk about Sarah Silverman's stand-up technique, some patterns that I've recognized in her performing. Hopefully, if I can dive into her mental approach uh, respectfully and and sort of showcase how she approaches stand-up and why she does it the way she does and how she got to be where she is today. Okay, so Sarah Silverman was born in Bedford, New Hampshire to a couple of older Silvermans. She's the youngest of five children, and the first time she ever performed stand-up was at the age of 17 in Boston. Of course, it's Boston, right? Today, she describes that performance as terrible, and has since become a little bit better. In 1997, just five years after she had started performing, Sarah made her network television debut on The Letterman Show. Our next guest is a very funny stand-up uh, comedian making her network uh, performance debut with us uh, here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to Sarah Silverman. So uh, a couple nights ago, I'm hanging out with my boyfriend, and uh, I'm licking jelly off of him, you know. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm turning into my mother. <laughs> you I think one lesser known thing about Sarah, that I think anyways, I didn't know this, uh, was at the age of 22, she actually got offered a writing job on SNL. And after performing a string of shows in New York, talent scouts had been following her from club to club and on one night introduced her to Lorne Michaels. She'd eventually get fired after just one season on the show, having never got a sketch of hers on the air, but by all accounts... This happened because Sarah was unable to play characters that didn't resemble her. In other words, she couldn't turn it off. Sarah Silverman was meant to be Sarah Silverman, not some sketch character. Today she says this is probably the best thing that could have happened for her because it made her tough enough to not quit when things got actually bad later on, a sort of skin thickener. Sarah has since produced and wrote three comedy specials, including Jesus is Magic, We Are Miracles, and A Speck of Dust, which I would have to put in my own personal top five comedy specials of all time, and I will get into that. But Sarah isn't perfect, and as with most of the greats, has had a fair share of controversy. Like in 2001, getting in trouble for using a racial slur offensive towards Asian Americans on Conan O'Brien's talk show. Also performing jokes 
with the word rape in them. And even playing a character dressed as blackface in a 2007 episode of The Sarah Silverman Show, which she claims to have gotten her fired from an unnamed movie in 2019. Before I get into the stand-up, though, here are just a few other interesting tidbits that I think help shape Sarah's career. After the Letterman success, she'd go on to perform for many other late-night shows and in a number of TV roles and movies, including School of Rock, one of my favorites, There's Something About Mary, still haven't seen it, School of Scoundrels, remember seeing that at a dollar theater, and Crank Yankers, a Comedy Central classic. She was also in a relationship with Jimmy Kimmel for a while, I think like six, seven years, and premiered the hit song, I'm Fucking Matt Damon. I'm Matt Damon. She's Matt Damon. Which was her way of joking and fessing up about a secret affair. It was a viral video when the Star Wars kid was a viral video, so if that gives you some sort of time frame. She also released an autobiography titled Bedwetter in 2010 and has voiced a character in Disney's Wreck-It Ralph in 2012. Okay, so that is a lot of introduction, and I really do want to get into the stand-up and the technique and sort of talk about the different patterns that I think I've picked up on in Sarah's performing. So let's just get right into it. Sarah is an absolute master at the basic setup punch style of comedy. But what I think she knowingly does differently is instead of a traditional surprise, if you can even say that that's a thing, she'll throw something in that's shocking. So she takes the standard joke writing format, changes the end a little bit. So not only do we get a surprise at the end, but also something shocking. I'm an Obama person. Yeah. I like him. I've liked Obama since before he ran for president the first time when he was uh, a senator in Chicago. Not like I'm so smart or hoity-toity. I just, he was on Letterman and I thought he was cool. And um, I remember when he decided to run for president, I was like, I'm going to work on that campaign. And I did. And because I live in Los Angeles, I could uh, go to this fundraiser out here that was just star-studded, like a who's who. And you could walk, you know, he was just a senator at the time, so you could walk right up to him and pet him. And I did. I wanted to think of something smart to say or question to ask, and I was like, Senator Obama, um, when you were a student in Boston, did you ever encounter any racism? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, um, he said, I'm Kanye West. And again, when I'm talking about basic joke structure, I'm literally talking, this is a setup, this is a surprise punchline. And I think when Sarah's writing something, instead of like, oh, it's just a surprise, she's like, what if the surprise was also shocking or had something to do with genitalia or sex or race or religion, right? Something a little bit heavier hitting. So she just changes that last part even more, like a second sort of twist. Sarah's also great at eliciting laughs from the setup alone. I very rarely, occasionally, obsessively watch porn on my phone. 
Her general style can be described as deadpan, satirical, and political even. During the 2016 presidential elections in the U.S., she became increasingly active and even introduced and endorsed Senator Bernie Sanders at a Los Angeles convention. Bernie is a democratic socialist. And so am I. She gave a speech to a crowd of about 27,000 people and today advocates for more women in politics. Um, she is outspoken against racial bias and unfair arrest for marijuana possession, being an avid smoker herself. And in addition to all of that, she still finds the time to support social justice programs that help find work opportunities for nonviolent offenders. And Sarah's strongest strength, in my opinion, is her ability to tell stories. She is one of the best storytellers working today. She often includes morals and philosophical meanings and total surprise twist at the end. She's a master at building tension, and just when it gets too tense, boom. I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna be indulgent and tell a story that's just a true story. Um, it's about one of my sisters, I have three sisters. This is about one of them. Um, I won't say which one, but her name is Jodine. <laughs> um, Jodine went to Boston University, and uh, if you're familiar with BU, they have co-ed dorms, which most universities have now, um, but they have co-ed bathrooms in the co-ed dorms. And Jodine, uh, got the drunkest she had ever been her freshman year, like so many freshmen do. And she stumbled back to her room and she managed to get her uh, jeans off, you know, and just passed out in, in a t-shirt and underwear. And a few minutes later, the room started spinning and she ran to the bathroom and she started throwing up and she's vomiting and while she's vomiting, she can feel that somebody is tugging her underwear down. But she couldn't turn around or stop it um, because she was throwing up so hard. And she's vomiting and vomiting, and they're tugging her underwear down. It's going down, all the way down to the ground. And she finally finishes throwing up, and she whips her head around to see who's there but she didn't see anybody because she had been shitting herself. <laughs> and that's, that's a true story. It's a shit joke. And like in that example there, her pacing is excellent. Something I don't think enough people talk about is when she uses a slower pace to emphasize certain parts of the joke or of the story, she knows exactly where the funny is and knows why people are tense in the first place. Something else I would also like to point out, I think everybody talks about how Dave Chappelle has meta sort of comedy or at least one joke, right? By coming out on stage and saying that he's dope. I reveal punchlines early, look at this punchline, I'm going to say a joke, and then boom, there's that punchline again. But Sarah Silverman was doing this in 2017. 
So now I have a new dog, Mary. I, um, I rescued her, or I like to think she rescued me. I don't know which is the less cunty way of putting it, but... <laughs> And she is my world, and uh, I love her so much. She's my everything. She's young, and she's full of life, and she's obsessed with squirrels, and she's kind of gotten me into it, too. And she's just, like, such a cuddler, and we play, and we, like, spoon at night, and... I'm just gonna put a pin in that for a second and double back and say, that squirrel line, I would call that in comedy a throwaway joke. Like, I knew it was gonna get a laugh when I said, like, she's obsessed with squirrels, she's kinda gotten me into it, too. But I just, you just keep going to that main joke. That's a throwaway joke. It makes it extra cool. Now I've ruined it, because I doubled back and, like, I'm, like, talking about it. Now it's ruined. It's not a throwaway joke anymore, but it was. And I, this is probably for two people in the audience, but I would say a throwaway joke is cool the way that it's cool, like, I play basketball. If you like, during a pickup game, you make like a sweet three-point shot, and then afterwards, you don't smile. <laughs> you just go right back into defense. That's the same coolness of a throwaway joke. All right. So really? That's never gotten a laugh before. And again, Sarah Silverman, just a little bit ahead of the curve on this one. No disrespect to Dave Chappelle fans who thought that he was like the first one or like the most popular one being meta on stage, Sarah literally breaking down what a throwaway joke is, using it perfectly in a bigger joke. Well done. Her acting is also a huge part of her stand-up. I think this is another tool that goes unnoticed that she uses to her advantage. As she acts out scenes, stays completely in that character in that moment, and then jumps right back into stand-up mode. This is embarrassing. This is a this is a confession, okay? Ugh. Sometimes I get an orgasm from giving a blowjob. Is that normal? Is that like to get an orgasm from giving a oh, not giving a blowjob, taking a shit. <laughs> You don't understand. I'm at a show, too. You're my show. And that joke is so fun to tell because, like, at the first juncture, the guys are like this and the girls are like this. And then it just goes... It's like the wave. And that's where I think... Her role in School of Rock probably paid off. I don't know. I just want to give School of Rock another shout-out. I don't think that's really why she's good at acting. Just don't think that movie gets enough attention. Um, probably Jack Black's best movie. Maybe. What am I talking about? Religion is also one of her favorite topics to poke fun at. And although her angle in this seems to be a mixture of shock value and criticism, I also don't think it's a coincidence that Two of her specials titles have some religious ties, and the third sounds like a more scientific approach. Maybe I'm overthinking this. That's definitely possible. And definitely my favorite thing to do on stage, Sarah Silverman loves wordplay, too. Like, these are two of my favorite Sarah Silverman jokes, and 
maybe they're complete throwaways, but I love just saying them and the words together just sound funny to me. This is true. Scientists have known this for almost two decades, if you believe in science. That, <laughs> and this is it. Sperm can smell. I know we, I, I know sperm can, we all know sperm can smell. But <laughs> sperm cells, seashells by the seashore. Sarah, come on, focus. This is a big night. This is serious, though. Christianity is super old, but it's fucking crazy. I mean, it's, you're born a sinner. By being born, you are a sinner and you're going to hell. But you can just apologize and then you can go to heaven. No big deal. If you're a murderer, same thing, it's just apologize and go to heaven. You can be Hitler and go to confession and say, forgive me, Father, I killed six million Jews. And the priest would just be like, no problem, say 10 Heil Marys. And Hitler goes to heaven. Hitler goes to heaven is the name of my band. And also one thing I do want to point out, I remember doing open mics and people telling me not to bring a notebook up on stage because it didn't look professional or whatever the shit they said. I'd like to note that Sarah did bring a legal pad on stage with her during a Netflix special. And her comedy has always felt more personal because of small things like that. Like in her 2014 special, she was performing in front of 39 people. The room had 40 people in it, maybe 45 with the camera crew. I don't know. Sarah just does it differently, and she does it right. And I think this is a huge part of why I think A Speck of Dust specifically is a top five special of all time. Sarah has got every trick there is in her bag and her repertoire. She explores the topics of sexism, racism, religion, mortality, and almost everything else that I can think of. I remember when I saw Sarah perform at the Oddball Festival in 2013, I remember her calling a volunteer who was in a wheelchair up to the stage and then sitting in her lap. The crowd gasped to which Sarah responded, what, she going to feel it? Everybody's tension was eased for a little bit. She asked the woman if it was okay. She was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm a huge Sarah Silverman fan. This is totally fine. I think it's very funny. She would go on to do the next five minutes or so of her set from the audience member's lap. And then when she got up, she asked someone in the crowd if they were religious. And it was the closing bit that you heard in A Speck of Dust where she's like, would you let God come in your mouth? Amazing. I, I had just graduated and I, it was the greatest comedy show that I have seen. Not Sarah specifically, but combination of all those comedians, whatever. So was that all of her stand-up totally broken down? Absolutely not. But did I listen to all of Sarah's specials multiple times and try to figure out how a genius does what she does? I mean, I gave it a college try. So, yeah? And on to the controversies of Sarah Silverman's career. Uh, she's where to start here. Uh, I definitely don't have time to talk about every single time she's gotten in some hot water, but I would like to mention a few things that, again... I think really helped shape Sarah's career and character. 
Um, and not in a shitty way either. I think her apologies were in good taste. And the jokes that didn't land are just a part of a larger body of work that millions of people adore everywhere. As previously mentioned, Sarah played a character on the Sarah Silverman show and wore blackface. She talks about it here on her own Hulu show, I Love You America. She makes a great point about being a woman, but also gets completely honest and says she really has no idea what it's like to be a black person. And look, there's stuff I did on the Sarah Silverman program that I love. I loved playing this, this arrogant, ignorant asshole. But then there's stuff that I did on there that, you know, I cringe at. And uh, one thing in particular is to call it problematic would be too kind. Um, okay, I'll just rip the Band-Aid off right now and say it. I did an episode where I wore blackface. The context was, uh, well, irrelevant because it's not okay to do blackface ever. But slash and, there is irony, because in this episode, I played an ignorant woman in a liberal bubble who thought she was illuminating racism by wearing blackface. What I didn't realize then is that, in reality, I was an ignorant woman in a liberal bubble who thought I was illuminating racism by wearing blackface. I mean, good grief. That is some real liberal bubble shit. We know it's wrong, so we can do it. Aside from this, one of her most uh, recent television appearances was on Conan O'Brien when she came out dressed as Hitler, saying that he or she didn't like being compared to Donald Trump. Understanding is you want to clear the air because you think you're being unfavorably compared to Donald Trump. Don't get me wrong, Conan, I agree with a lot he says, a lot. Like 90% of what he says, I'm like, this guy gets it. Okay. But it's just, I don't like the way he says it, it's mm -hmm. just, it's crass. Yeah, you know? yeah, Trump is very, very crass, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, what kind of person talks about his penis size on national television? <laughs> You know, oh yeah, I'm so sure Donald Trump has a big penis. I famously have a micro penis. That's what makes a tyrant. Right, yeah, no, I'm... <laughs> Hitler, I am very sorry to hear about your micro penis. Ugh, if I had a gold filling every time I heard that. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe Hitler went there. Yeah. Also, something worth taking note of while we're talking about controversies is that Sarah Silverman has for a long time admitted to being a chronic bedwetter in her past. I don't think she does it now. I mean, I can't know for sure, but I just have a feeling and it's not really a total controversy, just something fun that I would like to talk about. Sarah is a human and wet the bed until she was like 15, 17, something like that. She even published an autobiography entitled Bedwetter, which is admirable. That'd be like me titling my book, Small Teeth and How to Smile Right. All right, now on to the mental approach that I believe Sarah takes. And now I'll just say this, Sarah isn't one to just spill all the beans of how she gets everything done. I think you have to listen closely and hope that when she does interviews, she's asked the right questions. So earlier I talked about the pacing of Sarah's comedy, but what that pacing really creates for the comedian is an empty void or quietness, which is something a lot of comedians are actually scared of. Obviously, the quiet right? moments. The, yeah, I, well, I learned that from 
Gary Shandling. Oh, really? He, he, I remember him telling me that sometimes what you aren't saying is just as much a part of it as what you are saying. And, you know, of course, when you start doing stand up, uh, if you don't have the crowd, you'll, you'll over talk, you'll talk louder, you'll talk faster. And that's desperation. It's not attractive. <laughs> If we're not hearing laughs, we're not doing our job. And I'm realizing now how arrogant it must be to say we, like I'm a part of this club. But also fuck you a little bit if you even agreed with me for saying that. She also talks about where this ability to thrive in the quiet may have originated, giving props to Gary Shandling and this brief memory of her dad. Also, it's very interesting because... People are not traditionally comfortable in the quiet moments. And I can give an example of my dad, who when we're on the phone, if there is a single beat <laughs> of silence, he goes, um, 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 uh, 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 um. And it just, it's kind of heartbreaking, even though it's, you know, he's fine. But it's it's because he is terrified of those quiet moments, you know, that someone's going to give up on him or the conversation will be over. And now, seeing this her entire life, but also being smart enough to take note of it, have to be a part of where the strength and skill come from. Sarah also knows that if she's telling a story with a moral or a deeper point of view that she wants to get across, she might have to sandwich in some silly satire so that people are more open to listening. Doing comedy is figuring out like what you care about and what you're interested in, what you want to talk about. So it's like I had a comic friend call me and he was like, I feel like I'm not talking about what's going on in the world. And like, um, I, I, you know, like I'm my stuff isn't about anything political and I feel like guilty about it. And I was like, that's such a gift. I prefer aggressively dumb and silly. Yes. You know, especially yeah. if you might have something quote unquote to say because otherwise you just if, if it doesn't if it isn't sandwiched with really dumb shit you're just I feel like as a viewer I'd be like fuck you <laughs> so yeah a lot of Sarah Silverman's stories or some of her stand-up might have deeper meanings or points of view or morals that she wants to get across but she's also smart enough to realize that not all comedians do this and that comedians who aren't doing this and aren't being politically active or talking about things happening in the world also have a gift and just to lean into the silly of things. So in conclusion, how good is Sarah Silverman? I think this is definitely one of the more debatable questions I've presented. I also think it'd be unfair not to include someone saying the opposite of what I've been saying. So here's a quote I found about her first special titled Jesus is Magic. Quote, most of the humor in Jesus is Magic depends on the scandal of hearing a nice middle class Jewish girl make jokes about rape, anal sex, the Holocaust and AIDS. She makes fun of religion. She riffs on 9-11. But Miss Silverman is not smashing taboos so much as she is desperately searching for them. End quote. Now, is that actually true? Maybe to an extent, but searching for taboos, in Sarah Silverman's case, is any other comedian searching for material. That's just where her funny comes from, so should she be condemned for that? No, I don't think so. And back to the title question, I want to start implementing a sort of scale I think is fair to rate comedians on, and not a 1 to 10 scale like I'm on Tinder 
looking for a one-night stand-up, I think it'd be best to have a five-leveled scale. One, not good. Two, respectable. Three, one of a kind. Four, great. And five, legend. Is this scale subject to change? Yeah, probably. I feel like I just pulled it out of my asshole right now, Um, but I'd like to put more thought into it. But for the sake of today's episode, I'm going to have to give Sarah a three. One of a kind. I, I absolutely believe Sarah Silverman is one of a kind. I think something that may be holding her back from moving up on my fictitious scale that doesn't matter is that in 20 years we have but three comedy specials, two of which strongly differ from the last in terms of subject matter and I think overall performance which absolutely shows progression and growth, but by no means is Sarah Silverman a prolific comedian. And I've spent this whole podcast talking about what she does better than anybody, but something that I think hinders her is the inability to appeal to the general public. It seems like she almost has a cult-like following. She's had two television shows that have been canceled for who knows why, honestly. For some reason, people cannot see the appeal in Sarah Silverman. But she isn't done. And after her 2017 special, A Speck of Dust, I absolutely cannot wait to see what she does next. The truth is I am, and I have gotten into squirrels, and now I'm going to get you into squirrels. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Wait until you see. I learned a fun fact about squirrels that I'm so excited to tell you. I can't, I mean, okay, this is what it is. It's this. Squirrels cannot find 80% of the nuts they hide. Are you kidding me? Is that the greatest thing you've ever heard in your life? First of all, animals aren't supposed to make mistakes. But secondly, I made this realization that is gonna blow, hold your skulls in because your brains are gonna fucking explode. That's how trees are planted. Are you fucking kidding me? That's how trees are planted. God or the universe or nature or whatever the fuck created this anxiety-ridden, paranoid cokehead that thinks that everybody wants their acorns. Nobody wants your acorns. No one else in the world eats acorns, only you. That they hide them everywhere, and then they're so fucked up on coke, they can only find Two out of every ten. And there you have it. There you have it. That is, I guess, my take on Sarah Silverman. Um, I don't know. Let me know what you think about the question, how good is, insert any comedian's name. I'd like to get to work on the scale a little bit. Also, if you've made it this far into the podcast... I feel like you might have enjoyed part of it, so go and listen to the other comedians that I've taken time and done a deep dive on. 
I didn't have a scale to rate them on exactly. I was just more up forward about the words that I was using, but I've covered comedians like Patrice O'Neill, Mitch Hedberg, and Dave Chappelle. Um, Sarah Silverman being the first female comedian that I've covered, but again, has one of my absolute favorite comedy specials of all time. If you've not seen A Speck of Dust, you have to do yourself a favor and watch A Speck of Dust. The squirrel joke is like a top 10 joke probably of all time. And the first time I saw it was, uh, I don't know, very memorable and just a great special, amazing comedian. I'm lucky that I got to see her perform when I did. That was in 2013, but I still remember it uh, really well. And I went with a couple of friends, and that was when I was just a, a high school chode. So, you know, I didn't even know what I wanted to do, if I wanted to be a comedian, if I wanted to write jokes, if I wanted to make content. I had no idea at that point, but watching somebody perform at that level on that stage, it was Red Rocks in Colorado. I'm like, God damn, that just looks so amazing. And... You know, maybe one day, but right now we're sort of in the process of building something a lot bigger. So again, if you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. You're really making a difference in my own life and my work. So huge props to you. Kudos to you. If you'd like to support the podcast, like I said in the beginning of the episode, you can tell a friend. I think the best way for this podcast to grow is by word of mouth. So it's all dependent on you. I'm going to do as much work as I can over here. I hate to put that much pressure on a listener, but it doesn't take a lot to be like, hey, listen to this pod. If you like comedy being broken down, if you want to see how some people work and do different things, maybe go check that person out. That would help a lot. Uh, Also, as always, all questions, comments, queries, and concerns are welcome at ComedianOrdinaire at gmail.com. I don't have too much else to say. Um, I'm sorry if this whole lecture at the beginning of this podcast made this unlistenable for you and if you got turned off by that. Can't help it. Uh, We're going to talk about what we need to talk about on this. So, again, if you've made it this far, thank you so much, and I'll see you next week. I can tell you, I had a like I witnessed Steve Martin in the moment brilliance moment. I was this is very name droppy, but I yeah. because we did a um you know one of those AFI honors. We did it for Steve Martin. I did right. that, and then also for Diane Keaton. So afterwards, we all went to Steve's house. Just a few people, very intimate. I mean, I was like dying, you know, right. like. Um, it's a special moment. You go, I've arrived. Oh, and Candace Bergen was there, and and Diane Keaton, who is like a fabulous oh, actress. God, amazing. Right. Nancy right. Myers, and and then of course Martin Short and Seymour. Anyway, Martin Short kind of becomes like the host and asks questions to get conversation started. And he said, "Candace, when did you first meet Steve?" And Candace goes. Uh, I remember I was hanging out with Lorne and Paul and Steve didn't know what prosciutto was. And then Steve right then goes, can you believe it? And now I drive one. And I, was like, no! <laughs> I made Hold it to go embedded in my head. So I'd never forget. Your connection sucks.